In the name of our Savior Jesus, dear friends, for many people, leading is a lot harder than following. Leading requires a lot, doesn't it? You you have to know things. You might even have to be an expert in those things. You have to have a, a vision of where you're going, or you have to have been there before so that you know the way. You have to know what should be done at all times, but especially when things don't go quite as planned. And it's not enough to just know, you have to be able to do. Maybe you get this because you're the mom, you're the dad, you are the leader of the children. Or maybe some of you know this because you've led a a backpacking or hiking trip before. Maybe there's a business or community leader here this morning who knows this very well. You might even be a leader in the church. It sure seems easier to be a follower, though. Let somebody else do the heavy lifting of leading. Leading is hard. Following is easy. You might think that that's the way things are in the kingdom of God, that following is easy. After all, Jesus did all of the hard stuff, right? Living a life without sin, even though he was tempted. Dying on the cross, and instead of calling down angels to wipe out the opposition, defeating death. Jesus did everything that was needed. He's the leader, I'm the follower. Disciple even means follower, and that's what I am. So much easier. But is it actually easy to be a follower of Jesus? The example of Jesus' first disciples this morning makes following look very hard. It also seems pretty hard from the way Jesus uh, responded to three different people who were potential followers of his. He insisted that if they were going to follow him, they had to be totally committed. Nothing has changed. This is expected of us too. We are to be fully committed to Jesus, even when the way is rough, even when the time is inconvenient, even when we're tempted to look back. I want you to imagine something this morning. Imagine uh, walking from here to Casa Grande, or Casa Grande, or however you say it. Imagine walking from here to there through the desert, not not on roads, but through the desert. Imagine making that trip over four days, stopping at a city along the way and staying a night at each place. So you start here, and the first day takes you to Marana, and you stay there. Day two takes you to Red Rock. Day three up to Eloy, and finally on day four, you reach your destination. Imagine how you would feel after walking through the desert every day and getting to the end of each day after walking about 20 miles. And now imagine a culture where everybody isn't so wary and suspicious of everybody else, but, but a culture that actually practiced hospitality, that people that might give you food and a place to curl up for the night to rest from your travels. That's the kind of four-day trip Jesus was making as he was heading for Jerusalem for the last time. 
To do so, he and his disciples traveled through Samaria. Some of you might remember about Samaria, uh, an area populated with non-Jews and half-Jews, not the kind of people that real Jews associated with, and the feeling was mutual. And so Jewish people, as they were making their way down from Galilee uh, to Jerusalem, would not go through Samaria. They would actually mostly travel around and make, make it a longer trip for them by traveling around Samaria. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Jesus had decided to travel straight through that land. His eyes set squarely on Jerusalem and the opposition that he would face there. But he also faced opposition on the way. Jesus was looking to stay in a certain village, but the people there didn't want him or his disciples there. So they got kicked out of town, and all they could hope for was that the next village would be more hospitable for them. <clears throat> but James and John wanted to give the people there uh, a parting gift. They wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy them all. They wanted to annihilate the opposition. This is maybe why Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Jesus was leading the way, but the sons of thunder were, were having a hard time following. And it recognized that they were trying to defend their leader and their, their savior, but their taking charge didn't go so well. Their sinful nature and, and Satan-influenced desire was not the same as Jesus' love for souls. Jesus' mission was to save souls, not to destroy them. That's the volunteer mission that would take him to his cross and to his death for sinful people. So on the way to the next village, the, the day's lesson on what it means to follow him began. He addressed three men. <clears throat> the first man offered to Jesus... <clears throat> excuse me. first man offered to Jesus... I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Talk about rough. No place to lay your head at night. No place to call home. Doing with less than animals have. Jesus was being open with the man. The way would be rough. Earthly possessions, a house, and a home were not the priority. Following Jesus and serving in his kingdom would, would force everything aside. The Apostle Paul's life gives us a good example of that. In our second lesson today, we, we heard him describe the rough life he had while living for Christ and proclaiming salvation. Paul was willing to live that rough life if it meant following Jesus and sharing the Savior with people who desperately needed him. Jesus' response to the first man here causes us to, to think about our lives. And I want you to not think um, about how life can just be difficult sometimes, but think about the difficulties um, that you have faced and the sacrifices that you make for the sake of the gospel and for following Christ. Are you persecuted? 
for your faithfulness to God? Are you ignored? Are you turned away like, like we see happened with Jesus? Would you be willing to give up house and home to follow Jesus if you had to? Would you willing, be willing to give up some of the nice things in life in order to follow Jesus and to participate in the sharing of the gospel? Or does your life look like the opposite of that? Do you cling so tightly to your possessions and kind of live for them instead? Are you and your desires the top priority? Do your house and your entertainment and your vacation and the things that you like to buy, do those things take the lead while Jesus is pushed to follow you and follow them? I would be shocked if you claim that you have never done this. I would be shocked if you said you never do this. We don't know how the first man reacted to Jesus and what he did, but I do know what we need to do. We need to repent for sins like these and find forgiveness in the one who loved and served us to the point that he had no place of his own, he had no possessions to speak of, that would distract him from leading the way as he brought salvation to us. Jesus picked out a second man. Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. What a difficult thing to think about just a week after Father's Day. And what a difficult thing to hear. Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. As Jesus taught his disciples and others who were there about the unwavering commitment to him that was to be there, he didn't permit the man to do what he wanted to do. Jesus' response seems to be, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead, but the spiritually alive followers of Jesus are to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What happens when you want to do something, <clears throat> but Jesus is looking for something different from you? What happens when you think you need to do something, but Jesus requires something different? Do we change our plans for the sake of Christ? How have you responded when when you wanted to plan for family and home and anything else, but, but God was calling for your attention at that moment. Jesus wants you to serve him and share the good news that he is the Savior, even when that's inconvenient for you. We don't know how this man responded either to Jesus, but, but how have you responded when called on to sacrifice family things for your Savior and for his kingdom. I'm thinking that we all have made bad choices in this, in God's eyes. Choices that showed a lack of commitment to Jesus. <clears throat> Times when we put family and even friends ahead of Jesus and made him follow them too. 
Repentant hearts receive forgiveness through the one who did not find the cross inconvenient, but instead saw it as the, the loving, necessary thing, the thing that showed that he was committed to us. The third man volunteered to follow Jesus. He was willing, but he wanted to say goodbye to his family. Uh, Elijah had permitted Elisha to do that, we heard in the reading today. However, Jesus made it clear that he wants no one looking back. Uh, The hand at the plow tilling the field is the example that he used. The one plowing looks only ahead, not backward. Looking back results in a lack of attention to what's in front. And he said no one is fit for service in the kingdom of God if they are looking back. So what is it that's behind you? What's in your past that tempts you to return to it? What what could draw your attention away from plowing forward in the kingdom of God? What might prevent you from following immediately behind Jesus as he leads you? It's the person who's no good for your faith, and you know it. It's that thing you used to do, but you know it conflicted with God's will, so you put that behind you. Or maybe it's even good things, like the the family was for this man. I don't know what it is for you, but you do. We want to be fully committed to Jesus, but, but sometimes... We longingly look backward and we're distracted and we veer off the path of following Jesus in a way that advances his kingdom. Even as Jesus was calling this man and explaining to him what it was to carry on for God and not look back, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem, to suffer and die and rise again to save the world. He was full of conviction, determination. He would not turn back. He wouldn't even look back. All to bring forgiveness to sinners who who have trouble following him and, and moving forward in service to God's kingdom. These are difficult things to hear, aren't they? Rough times inconvenience, no looking back. Jesus impresses upon us that being fully committed to him means sacrifices for us. More than than giving up uh, an hour or two a week for him or giving offerings that are actual sacrifices, not little tokens or leftovers from all of the good he has given to us or volunteering at church to serve every once in a while. Full commitment to Jesus is a way of life. It causes us to to reorder things in our life, to set proper priorities. It includes following and, and serving Jesus, even though it makes things hard, like doing with less so you can serve God more. It includes following and serving, even though it might cost us family time or our family not understanding what we're doing. 
It means not living in the past and being more concerned about things that are behind us, but instead looking forward, how we can follow Jesus. And you know. Why would we do all of this? Because Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he did. He was fully committed to us. He was fully committed to earning our forgiveness and salvation. And in doing so, he earned our love. Love. That's why we do all of this. We love our Savior who first loved us. The Holy Spirit who gave us the faith to trust in Jesus is the one who lives in us and who's active in the words of Scripture as we hear them. He's the one that gives us the willingness and the strength to be fully committed to Jesus. Even when the way is rough, even when the time is inconvenient, even when we're tempted to look back. Amen. Now the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.